Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. My author today is Sally A. Allen, and she's written a novel that I believe is about wildlife. It's entitled Cougar. Sally, tell me about your book. What does it really refer to? It refers to a woman that's 65 years old and falls in love with a man that's 30 years her junior. That type of cougar. He came to her as a handyman, and the deal progressed from there. Okay, and does this, as the Brits would say, have some naughty bits in it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not going to say shame on you. I think you're allowed to put whatever you want to in your book. How did you come to write this? What motivated you? I always write... uh, Everything comes out of my head. I don't have any idea until I start writing. It's purely fiction. <laughs> so It's not autobiographical, then? No, not at all. Totally fiction. This book should be an interesting read to whom? Is it uh, older No, I think it's for very variable people, but um, I think it also kind of sends a message because this happens quite often today. You're living in Florida. Is it more prevalent there in Florida than perhaps other parts of the country? No, not necessarily. I think all females would enjoy it, and probably men, too. The book titled Cougar, Yes. who do you think it would appeal to, and why? Oh, I think it would appeal to to any woman that's older and might fall in love with somebody that's younger. However, it's just fiction, like I said, and it goes from there. Is this the first book you've written, or are there others in the marketplace? No, I have ten books that I've written. Ten books? Yes. And this is the latest in the series of books you have uh, put together? No, it's about the third. And describe the process uh, that you go through to write a book. You've got 237 pages in this one. How long did it take to put it together? Oh, I go. I, re- I write fast. Um, let's see. Oh, probably about two weeks or three weeks. That's amazing. Uh, I have heard of writers and authors who can get a book ready for publishing in about 30 days, and I think that's just remarkable. This is a two- or three-week process for you. How would you introduce this to someone that doesn't know of your other books or know of your writing? Well, I really don't have any way of doing that, except that all my books are very different, and I tell every tell everyone that, and then they ask me, where do you get the ideas? Well, <laughs> I get the ideas out of my head. I don't look at anything or anything like that or make an outline. I just go ahead and write. And do you write longhand or is it computer generated? No, I write longhand and then I have someone that takes and puts it on the computer. And goes through the editing process on your behalf as well? Yes. And how would you introduce this particular book to someone since it has naughty bits in it? uh, (laughs) How would you introduce it to someone? Well, I would say it's risky, but it has a good story. And the underlying theme of this book is what? Well, a young, uh, a young man pursuing an older lady. He isn't in her class at all, but it causes lots of confusion, especially with her family. So there may be an underlying message for people who may get into a cougar relationship. 
Yes, that's true. And what would that be? <laughs> Travel for everybody. And <laughs> an ending the ending is really different. So it all leads up to to a <laughs> something very different that people will be shocked by actually. And you don't want to give that away at this point, do you? No, I don't. No, I didn't think so. Is there action and, well, when I say action, let me, let me correct that because I think the naughty bits are maybe some of the action in there. Is there other types of intrigue and mystery involved in this book? Mm, well, some of her friends are pretty, uh, pretty outgoing, but they are also uh, like men. And one comes with a tragedy, and this fellow that she's interested in uh, works in a hidden hidden thing, and she and he he dies. He thinks he dies, but he doesn't. And it's it's uh, I let's say it kind of hints that he works for the mafia, but he's undercover. I see. So there is some mystery and intrigue involved in this as well. Yes, there is. Is there one scene in this book that stands out to you? That's not one of the naughty bits that might make a good movie. I don't know. I think the whole thing has to come together. I don't think you can pick one thing in it. It has to follow a flow of things. The whole story, in other words, is yes. something that yes. might be of interest to somebody that wants to produce a movie. I think so. Are there other books in the marketplace like this besides the ones you have written? Not that I know of. I really don't know of any. I just thought it was a apropos thing to write about. Is there anything that sets it apart from the rest of the books that are out there that are similar? I think that it's, I think it moves fast and there's a lot of twists and turns that will surprise the reader. Sounds like a fast read, 237 pages. Uh, what was challenging about putting this book together? Well, I feel challenged on any book I put together. I don't have an outline at all. It just I just go with the flow. And do you have other books that you have already released into the marketplace? Yes, I do. Um, actually, they're all listed with Exebris, and they're available at Barnes & Noble, Exebris Bookstore, and let's see what else. Um, oh, and Amazon. Okay. And do you have a title that you could pass along to us besides Cougar? Oh, yes, I do, on every one of them. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. The question, I guess, uh, what I was trying to ask was, uh, can you give me the title of maybe one of your other books? Yes, The Rogue, Big Bad Killing Machine, <laughs> let's see, uh, Aftermath, let's see, um, The Sparks Trilogy, and I can go on and on with it. Amazing that you have that ability to, to be that creative. It's uh, wonderful to, to talk with you. And you've already mentioned where we can get copies of your book. Do you yes. have a book that's going to be released in the near future? Yes. And what's the title of that? <laughs> Love Connection. Love Connection. Mm -hmm. Pleasure visiting with you. We've been visiting with Sally A. Allen, a novelist who's written a book titled Cougar. And it's not about the type of wildlife that we would normally think about. It's the type of wildlife that some of us think about. Thank you for joining me today, Sally. You're welcome, Jay. Pleasure visiting with you. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages.
Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana, through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage, connectwithjulianainmedia.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of the book is He Dared, the story of Akuku Uda Apabio, the great colonial African leader. Our author is Afunbuk C. Apabio. And joining us from Nigeria, Afunbuk. Welcome, Afunbuk. Hey, I'm happy that I'm on with you. I'm really excited. This 354-page book explores the history of a great African leader and some of your family heritage as well. Tell me what inspired you to put this together. Um, I was actually intrigued at the first instance by my husband. You know, the subject of this book is actually his grandfather, so... My husband bears an extremely proud man around his heritage. And so I decided to investigate and know more. So that's actually, you know, what um, started this book. But as I wrote, I found out that it was such a valuable piece of information that everybody should get to know. So that's how I started writing this. And you are located in Nigeria. Does this story take place in Nigeria? Yes, it takes place in Nigeria, in um, the south-south region of Nigeria, a state called Akwaibum State. That's where it, it takes place. The subject of the book, Okuku Afabio, was also a gentleman in the culture that had many wives and concubines. Explain to our listeners the historical context of that cultural phenomenon. Well, you see, like, even in most of Africa today, the wealth of a man at that time was measured in how many wives he has. Because 
he he has to have a lot of wives and children to help him in the farm work. Um, bear in mind that we didn't have any kind of mechanized farming, so a lot of the farm work was done by hand and very crude, um, using very crude tools. So you needed a lot of people to help you in the farm work. And so that's why a rich man has to have many wives to help him in in, in all of that. So that, that's why Okuku had 29 wives. How many again? 29. 29, 29 wives. wives. <laughs> so he was a very rich and wealthy man for his time. Yes, he was. He was. And successful. What was the outstanding accomplishment that he made in his life? Well, I think the outstanding accomplishment Okuku made in his life was um, he didn't have, let me put it in this way, he was not educated in the Western um, way of education at all. But he was someone who contributed so much and encouraged um, his children and young people around him to go to school. Because when the white man came and brought religion and trade and education, he said, look, you have to get to know what this is all about. So he encouraged people to go to school. And because of that commitment to um, the young people getting that knowledge, the whole of that area became so, so well-educated. So you have a lot of professionals today, doctors, architects, medical doctors, all coming from that area because of his deal to get them to have education. A strong foundation of leadership that uh, accomplished that. Yeah. A fun book. Tell me who you think this book is going to appeal to. Is this more historical in nature or biographical? This book, I, I feel, is going to appeal to uh, you know so many people first of all he's very rich in the anthropology of our people so he has a very good historical content but it's also a book that you know shows you the uh, should I say inspires you because you find this man being able to dream and he had a vision and he was just there to dream and you see that because of his commitment to that vision He's able to accomplish so much, and his legacy now endures. As a matter of fact, one of his um, grandsons was recently, last, last year, given a United States Congressional Award. So it just shows you how, from very um, obscure beginnings, this man is able to achieve so much, and now is even at the international platform. So it appeals to um, us all that we can achieve where we dream. And did he eventually retire from his leadership role? Yes, he did. Yeah, eventually retired. Yeah. And how old was he when he retired? Um, well, let me put it this way. In terms of active leadership, he retired, but he was a crown ruler. So he, he was, as long as he lived, he continued to be that crowned leader, you know, crowned uh, ruler, you know, like you have something like the monarchy in maybe Britain. So you can't really take that away from the person as long as the person is alive. But actively in, involved in um, leadership, day-to-day -day running of the affairs of the community, he had to, you know, ease up on that. But until he died, he remained the ruler of the people. And so I would say he lived up to about 96, 97, 
We are not sure of the date, but you know, extrapolating, it should be about that. Incredible history. His sons, tell us about them. Oh my God, his sons are just so awesome. He had 17 sons in all, and a lot of them, are, you know, they grew up to become great professionals, medical doctors, architects, engineers, and they have achieved so much, not just in Nigeria, but in the international platform. For instance, um, we have Dr. Aquabio. He worked in Jamaica for a while, one of his um, younger sons. He achieved so much in Jamaica, helped to set up some clinics and hospitals over there. And right now we have a couple of his grandsons living and working in the United States and some of his other granddaughters too. At least I know two of his grandsons are pharmacists. Uh, you know, one works in Walgreens. So, you know, so he's been able to achieve so much and his sons have gone even beyond what he would have even expected. So it's a real good legacy. It's a remarkable legacy. And the process of writing this book, how long did it take you to research it and put it together? Oh, it took me quite a while, you know, like three years, because most of um, what I I got was through oral interviews. You know, the written and documented aspect of it was not readily available because then people didn't have this culture of documenting things. This is one of the reasons why this book is so important because it gives a documented uh, version of our culture. It, it embodies the way of life of the people. So, I mean, it took me that while, but it, it, it gave me a very rich content. So I was able to do it in a couple of years. This book would be inspirational. Are there two or three words that would describe it? Yeah, I would say um, this book is about um, vision. It's about believing in oneself and having a dream. How would you introduce this book to someone that doesn't know of his history? I would say that this book is about um, a man who dared to believe in things that other people did not even think about. You know, he, he, he moved past frontiers seen at the time and embraced new horizons that have left a truly compelling story. Udo Akwabio, he was a man of many parts, but the dim circumstances of his early childhood did not deter his ambition to turn around his fortune. In this book, you get to discover Udo Akwabio, a warrior and a symbol of the indomitable spirit of the people of the area. He was indeed a charismatic leader and a successful businessman. Yet, he found time to carry out his duties as the patriarch of one of the largest and most influential family stock in South-South Nigeria today. And more importantly, I would say that this story chronicles Udo Fabio as a bridge between the British and the indigenous people. And Udo Fabio was a man who acted on intriguing insights and stirred the affairs of his people and was able to strike a delicate balance between age-long traditions and westernization as brought by the British. 
so he died in his story. And when did he live, specifically? He lived in the 19th century. He died in the 20th century. So just recently he passed away. Yes. Fascinating story. Are there any specific scenes in this book, in your research of his life, that stand out to you, other than the general things? Is there one specific or two specific incidences that stand out? Oh, there are a couple of incidences that stand out, but I would say, first of all, the the richness of the culture of the people. For instance, you find when he was to be crowned, um, the ruler of the people of that community, you see how rich, uh, you know, the story is told of people gathering, the costumes, the war, the feasts that went on for weeks just to culminate in that event, and then how the British sent representation to attend that event. And another thing that strikes me is um, when the white missionary reverend groups first set foot in that community, this is a man who speaks English, and this is a man, on the other hand, who does not understand a word of English. But they were able to strike a friendship right from the first day, maybe from body language, and then the interpreter is in between them, going back and forth. And so you see that bond right from that that bond right from the first time. It comes alive, and you could see that these two men were able to trust themselves. And that's why, um, in so many aspects, the the British they used Okukudokwabio. Um, they made him a judge. They made him a chief by government warrant. So you see all these things playing out in the book and how instrumental Okuku Dog Pabio was in ensuring that the British were successful in, in, in what they were doing in Nigeria at that time. And how did he perform as a judge? What is his legacy? Oh, my God. He did extremely well. First of all, the, he was appointed a judge of the native court. And then he was subsequently promoted by the British administrator to become the president of the Court of Appeal, you know, overseeing the native court. And that, that was because, according to the story that was documented by the British, this was one man who would not take any bribes. This is one man who did not allow friendships or other bonds, you know, he had with the people to color what his judgment was going to be. So they now decided that they will assign to him more serious cases of murder and, you know, serious matters of theft to him. He was now handling that and administering what happened in the lower court. So he did very well. And and, and as um, a mark of recognition, we have a bust of Okukudor Fabio, a sculpted bust of him, now sitting at the museum in, in Calabar, one of the principal regions in Nigeria. And he wasn't perfect, but he did do some remarkable things in his life and accomplished a great deal. Yes. Was there anything challenging about putting this book together? Well, a lot was challenging about it because oral accounts, I just didn't want to um, take one person's word for it. I mean, I don't want to cast any doubts on people's integrity but what i did was when once i get the account of a particular incident from you know a 
I had to run it through several other people to just be sure that that account is accurate. So that was the principal challenge I had because most of the uh, materials came from people who knew him. And I had to corroborate that a lot. So it took a lot of time. It took a lot of effort. And then trying to weed out people who actually knew what they were talking about, that, that was really challenging. A fun book. Tell me, why is this book such a compelling read? Uh, this book is um, particularly very exciting and, of course, a compelling read because it has history, culture, wit, and motivation all rolled into one compelling read. Let me explain. This is the story of the way of life of the people. But inside of it, you can see a lot of laughter, a lot of um, intrigues and all of that. So you are compelled to get to know the end of what this person is about, the other characters in the book. And then it's motivation because this man is someone, when you sit down, you listen to him, you look at the way he does things, he motivates you to go for the best. He was one man who believed so much in the dream and the vision, and that with time, if you work hard and you were committed, you were going to actualize it. And, and that's why we see his family flourishing. Like I said, his sons and daughters and his grandchildren, generations after him, have been very great achievers in um, Nigeria today. His grandson is one of the governors in Akwaibum State, and he has also been a recipient, like I mentioned earlier, of a United States Congressional Award. That was last year. And then you have a couple of his um, um, children, grandchildren, living in the United States now and doing so well and affecting their community positively. So this is a story one should read, and um, it's very compelling indeed. Well, fun book. Thank you for joining us. This is uh, actually a book that's more than a historical document. It is a book of inspiration as well. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. title of the book, again, is He Dared, the story of Okuku Uda Apabio, the great colonial African ruler. The author, a fun book, Apabio. A fun book, where do we get copies of your book? Um, this book is already on from you can get it through amazon bands and noble or you could contact the publishers directly which is actually breeze publishing and is this your first novel first book first publication this is my first um, biography but i have written other books fiction works so this is not my first uh, book let's say well, we hope to hear from you again in the future. Again, the book is titled He Dared. Afunbuk A Pabigil is our author, and thank you so much for joining us today. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. 
She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Dopey Bastid, a sequel to number eight, Centerfield in New York, 1951 through 1957, and the author, Lou Salino, and Lou joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Lou. Hello, Steve. Thank you for having me. Well, great to have you with us. This is such a unique sports fiction book, but it, because it really deals with things that happen in sports and uh, reflecting on them, we all can sit around and talk about sports and, and laugh and sometimes cry when our team uh, did some uh, maybe dumb things or, or players did some things that we weren't too happy with. But you've kind of put together this kind of reflection, I, I guess, the way you feel about sports. Isn't that what it comes down to? Uh, to a great extent, yes. Uh, and different events that occurred in sports. And I guess it's easy to reflect back and discuss something that's already occurred when you know what the outcome was and what the history was after that. But these stories are told pretty much at the time. They're all told in 1978. So you didn't have the benefit as you're telling the stories of anything that transpired after 1978. Well, first of all, Lou, tell us about your background, how this book came about. Well, uh... I'm actually a professional engineer in the states of New York and New Jersey and had 40 years in the profession and just got a little uh, sick of the humdrum and had a couple of creative ideas and I said, you know what, the hell with it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. And that's what I did. So the book eight, Center uh, Field in New York, was really the result of wanting to tell the story of Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, and Duke Snyder, uh, pretty much because I was a little bit too young to appreciate Duke Snyder, and I wanted to see how he really fit in with, with Mays and Mantle, who were really the arguments of discussion when I was growing up. And as I did the research from 1951 to 1957, which is the, the years that those three outfielders all played in New York at the same time, that was the reason for taking a look at that and, and comparing the three, you, I actually found out that Snyder was every bit as good as Manilyn Mays during those uh, during those years. So, to make it a little different, I just told their story through the eyes of three 13-year-old friends. They're doing a book report, and they write about their three favorite players. One is a Willie Mays fan, one a Mickey Mantle fan, and one a Duke Snyder fan. So, they argue all the way through as they're doing their report, and at the end of them getting an A plus on their report. Uh, one of the three winds up in a coma as a result of a baseball practice accident, and that's pretty much how that book ends, although the individual uh, does open his eyes at the end of the book, and that ends. The book, Dopey Bastard, then picks up from that point on, uh, follows the three 13-year-olds quickly through high school, and then fast-forwards 20 years to uh, 1978. 
One has become a noted sports writer for the New York Daily News, and the other to help the sports writer write his first book. And it's going to be entitled Dopey Bastard, and it's technically about dumb decisions that were made in the world of sports, either by managers or owners or players or sports writers. And that's the uh, the nature of the book. So it's kind of like a friends and and uh, sports analogy. And not dealing just with baseball. No, there are uh, football stories, basketball stories, and some boxing. Uh, it was easier to expand uh, the dumb decisions by integrating several of the sports into the into the story. So uh, that's that's how that came about. It's predominantly baseball, though. How did you come up with the title? Well, right or wrong, one of my favorite expressions has always called, been calling somebody a dopey bastard. So uh, typically that was only to friends and family and people I liked and never done with malice and only, always in good humor. But to protect the innocent, I changed the spelling of the last word from A-R-D to I-D, which is typically the way New Yorkers pronounce the word, bastard. <laughs> That's the way they say it anyway. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so these two amigos, uh, along with the sports writer, just... Just have a lot of fun uh, with this recollection of these dumb decisions. Uh, why don't you uh, give us an example? You know, what's a, one of the dumb decisions made by uh, players or a player? Well, the players, um, I guess you could look at uh, early retirement of some great players in different sports. Uh, Jimmy Brown was uh, 29, 30 years old with the Cleveland Browns, probably the greatest running back in the history of the National Football League, and some even consider maybe the greatest uh, football player of all time, and he retired at, uh, you know, 29, 30 years old in the peak of his career. Uh, Sandy Koufax retired very early, although there was some elbow problems which may have impacted his decision, and Rocky Marciano retired as the heavyweight champion of the world at a, as a, at a very early age, and the identification there is did those three guys, were they dopey bastards for retiring too early? Or they so just the went out end. in a blaze of glory. Maybe you could look at it that yes, way. Yes, they too. certainly did, but uh, <laughs> they may have left some great yeah. events and, and good times in the world of sports behind. So we'll never know. That's right. We'll never know. Now, what about... We have the players, then we have managers. What about managers? Well, managers, you know, I went back to my uh, 1960 New York Yankees playing the, the Pittsburgh Pirates and uh, Casey Stengel making the decision to leave his best pitcher, one of the probably the best Yankee pitcher of all time, Whitey Ford. He didn't start him until the third game of the series. The Yankees wound up losing the series in seven games, and if, uh, Casey Stengel had started Whitey Ford in the first game, they would have been a lot better off since Ford pitched two games, two shutouts in game three mm. and, game, and game six. So that was kind of a dumb decision by a manager and a key moment. May have pitched another shutout and they would have won, yeah, I guess. That's what you're that's, saying. Uh, yes. That's the way I would have looked at it. <laughs> Now we have, of course, sports writers. Do they ever get it wrong? I don't think they ever get it wrong, do they? 
Oh, wow. That's uh, tough, <laughs> I think. Even though I'm a big Yankee fan, the, the story I chose to reflect on early on in the book was uh, about Ted Williams, who was you know, one of the greatest hitters of all time, uh, won two MVP awards, but three times, once as hitting over 400 and the other two times winning the Triple Crown, he lost the MVP award on all three of those years. So you kind of wonder how you can win the Triple Crown and not win the MVP and hit over 400 and not win the MVP. But it happened to him. Now, what about, uh, what about this theme about friendship? Well, the... The premise of the book is to always go back and reflect on the relationships between or among the three that, who were friends since they were like six, seven years old. So they always have each other's back. Anytime there's an altercation, one of them's there. They're, you know, they're there for each other, almost like brothers. And that theme is prevalent throughout the, throughout the book. So in researching and developing your ideas, uh, you know, what was the process? How did you come up with these different stories? Well, I'm somewhat of a sports enthusiast, so I was familiar with many of the stories. And uh, if you think about sports history and you were writing in 1978 and trying to come up with dumb decisions in the world of sports, I'm sure that would have been countless opportunities to come up with uh, basketball, football, baseball, boxing, uh, analogies in golf and anything. So it's really, it really wasn't that difficult as long as you had some idea of what has transpired in, in the world of sports. So um, I didn't really find it difficult at all. Actually, it was a lot of fun uh, going back and then doing some more specific research about the event, which is uh, available based on uh, books and going online and just uh, taking a look at how others would have uh, reflected on events that had occurred and then putting my own spin on it, which was also well, the fun part because you could always put, you could always interpret it the way you wanted to interpret it. So there's no right or wrong answer when when you're looking at an event. Well, that's what's great about sports and makes it a. Uh entertaining and uh, really, I guess, a diversion from all the craziness in the world. It's always great to talk about sports. What about, what about that event, that player or personality that just made you laugh? Uh, I would say more of the events were about myself that made me laugh dumb bets that I've made in the past on the, uh, on the betting against the Mets in 1969 and betting against the Jets in the Super Bowl against Baltimore. So the dopey bastard on both of those occasions happened to be the individual character, Lou Marciano, who uh, lost a lot of money betting on the wrong team. <laughs> well, I guess you, you could also say that made you cry as well. <laughs> Uh, yes, it made the other guys laugh and it made me cry. That's correct. <laughs> yes. Well, um, is there, uh, is there some player or some event that just kind of stands out? It's like, uh, you know, the, the monumental thing that really in some way touched your life. Well, I guess there were several, if I had to pick one. I could probably 
give you the basketball analogy when the New York Knicks won their first championship in 1970 because they had such a great all-around team. And there's a, the title of that chapter of the book is There's No I in Team. Uh, so you had some great events and you had uh, how well you're, you know, the people who listen in are familiar with a Willis Reed coming out in and hardly able to walk and coming out for the seventh grade, uh, seventh game of the uh, championship against the Lakers and uh, 19,000 fans rising to see that he actually was going to give it a shot and he played like five minutes, could hardly walk and went off the floor, but mm. uh, inspired his teammates to go out and win, win that game without him. Well, the title is Dopey Bastard, and it will make you laugh, cry, and it'll make you think. And that's what's fun about sports. There's a lot of lessons to be learned from sports uh, in every different field of sports. Lou, tell us how to get your book. Well, it's available on uh, exlibris.com, on amazon.com, and on barnesandnoble.com. And right now I'm pushing to get it into the New York City and Long Island bookstores and perhaps uh, some of the other Barnes and Noble, so we'll see how that goes. I have a uh, returnability agreement uh, that's now in place, so we'll see if that uh, spurs on the sale at uh, at the bookstores. Well, thank you so much, Lou, for being with us on Ex Libris on Air. Steve, it was my pleasure, and thank you very much uh, for being so cordial and for asking pertinent questions. That's always a good thing. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.